0: Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival, where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode, and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at WorldArchFest.
1: Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, This session is a slightly different tone from some of the other ones that we've had on housing uh, here at WAF uh, because we wanted to examine the gamut of architectural activity in relation to housing for everything from emergency housing through to, I suppose, the other end of the spectrum, uh, which is luxury housing or or housing as luxury, perhaps. And in, in one or two sessions, people have made a comment that things we regarded as luxury or examples of extreme technical sophistication perhaps 20 or 30 years ago, are now entirely commonplace, you know, taps that turn off if you haven't got your hands underneath them, or the idea of the ensuite bathroom, once a sort of Mayfair luxury, uh, and now uh, absolutely essential for sort of mid-market housing um, across the world. Um, Our two speakers this afternoon, uh, have uh, at least one thing in common, two things in common. Both their first architect, they're both architects. And secondly, uh, Eric Parry has offices; is headquartered in London, but has an office in Singapore. And Maria Warner Wong uh, from Wow Architects is headquartered in Singapore, uh, but has an office in London. Um, Eric is going to speak first, uh, followed by Marina, and then we'll have some discussion. Eric, over to you.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So. The uh, question of housing and luxury um, assumes, I think, that the client, uh, to be housed, has enough money to, uh, to choose. So it's a, ca- a question of cho- choice. But I think uh, what I would like to do is to put luxury into a kind of context an urban context, and I'm going to be principally talking about London. This image of a prison cell is, for me, uh, it's reminiscent of a series um, that was a television series uh, that I remember as a, as a young boy um, called The Prisoner, which was a sort of H- Aldous Huxley Orwellian nightmare of a make-believe Beautiful environment, in fact, Port Merion uh, in Wales, in which Patrick Magoon, the principal actor, always found himself um, shadowed by a kind of evil world that controlled everything around him. And I suppose the question um, arose in the great uh, presentation we had from Ole Sheeran. Um, Within a gated complex, like Interlace, in fact, uh, when you meet the jogger there on that running track, one has to say, what is the touchstone? A brilliant set of spaces and gardens. What is the touchstone that makes one feel comfortable in a gated, essentially a gated community? The... uh, I suppose this is a, a drawing uh, from many years ago through the uh, Hotel Tassel in, in Brussels. And I, it, I've just put it up to remind uh, myself and, and you, the audience, about the fact you can be alienated, uh, obviously, in a, in a prison cell, but also in the extremes of uh, deprivation. Um, say, an Antarctic exploration, where you lose horizon and you lose touch with reality, but you can also feel the sense of alienation and deprivation surrounded by luxury, of plenitude, effectively, which is the world that was true um, of the Art Nouveau. I'm a great fan of, of the architecture, but it was a very interiorized world uh, I had a client who, um, yeah, was not comfortable in, in, in a, a very social context. So he bought this chateau in France. Um, it was a remarkable job, uh, a set of rooms, wonderful program. Um, but the thing that was extraordinary was that at a certain point I got rung up... Uh, by the client, say he was being disturbed by the sound that he couldn't put his finger on, but he was sure it was something to do with water and pipes. So I got Arab Acoustics to come out here uh, and they measured everything and they concluded that it was the most silent place they'd ever recorded. And that was his problem. That actually the fact is that if you don't have an ambient noise level around you, an urban noise level, it starts to drive you mad. Of course, that's part of the world of of a prison. Um, So, other clients, this is what I would say is something to do with the Arcadian dream of retreat as well. A small project you can just see on the right hand side of this building to allow a, a, a contemporary space for a family. But it's background is this amazing 14th century castle, which in itself was a, was a, was a dream. Uh, it was never defensive, it was a place for entertainment. And behind this in the landscape was an extraordinary folly uh, built by a man called Beckford that collapsed. So this little project sort of is part of a, a continuous lineage, I would say, of grand... Um, a, a dream of, uh, of escape. For me, I'm really now just going to talk about some uh, luxury housing that's been part of uh, the projects in, in Westminster. This is, this is one. This little model is a connecting link between a great Qubit house, he's a developer from the 19th century, and a muse house. Um, and in the middle of it, is this very beautiful link, um, and garden, a kind of world of escape. Um, And great comfort, but it is on a street, it's a residential street, Um, very interesting. Uh, Another project is this project, that you can just see a square, I think, in the image, the aerial image. And that square actually marks as you will see on the bottom right, the footprint of a Carthusian monastery built after the Great Plague of 1348 by a fantastic architect called Henry Yeverley. Um, It was one of the most uh, prismatic geometric spaces in medieval London. Um, We're creating a new um, entry to this because its endowment, which was started in 1611, is beginning to uh, reduce. So, the interesting thing is that it has been through its history, whether as a silent monk in your little house, there are 23 around the, the court, or ultimately after the gift um, of this to a school and an almshouse, It has been a palimpsest of the history of dwelling um, and it continues, there are 40 brothers who, you have to be between 60 and 80, and you have to either have given your wealth away or to be impecunious, and then you can live here. It's an arms house, it's an amazing luxury, if you will, in old age. And I'm just going to talk about two projects in Mayfair um, to show, I think, that the best way of setting luxury is in the middle of a very ordinary urban context. A really, by ordinary I mean great. <laughs> this is uh, this is an aerial view of uh, New Bond Street on the top. Um, a street called Maddox Street, where you can just see some, some uh, Regency houses that were turned into offices. And at the, uh, the, the bottom of the picture, some buildings that were very much of um, the beginning of the 18th century, the Hanoverian period. So it's a very historic site. And this is how uh, we found it. it it's a 90-metre it's a by 30-metre block with a fantastic shop on New Bond Street, Pinay's, that sells the most uh, extraordinary leather goods, particularly shoes. Um, a building that we then uh, took away. The housing, you can just see to the right-hand side. And then on the back was this dreadful, on Maddox Street, a dreadful kind of building from the 70s that kind of crushed it, the ground um, with, uh, with very secondary space. So. The project was to build all the way around this, to create offices around the terraced houses, which, as I say, had, were in use as offices. And a very, I think a very um, uh, good aspect of the planning principles in London is that if you increase the area of office in Westminster, you have to increase the residential component on the site, which is terrific. So, Um, This is the plan of the project with two offices uh, riding behind the housing, which is returned to housing, and the the small building, uh, uh, the Pinay building, you can see which is integrated into the office plan. So here is the completed project. You can see there's a new facade on New Bond Street and a new facade uh, to the offices at the other end, to Maddox Street. In between, there are small shops uh, and in between those are the entrances to the apartments that are reinstated here at this point that if I had the money, I would be very content living in. The other project is... A, a slightly livelier, livelier context um, it 's the building that uh, is what I described as the block near Eros and Piccadilly Circus, where again, the uplift in, in what i 've described as sort of urban tooth decay you can see that sort of uh, blank space in the middle of the block um, that uh, is this, um, in uplifting the office component, um, th- at the same time, uh, this is the proposal, so that was the before, this is the proposal, uh, new, uh, new, new shops, the idea being to activate the street as much as possible, um, gave rise to this art commission for the ceramic building and the building sits there with its shops, its offices. Uh, In in plan, you can see that what was a chaos is now uh, a a clear plan of entrance to office in the middle, uh, retail of a bigger scale to Piccadilly, smaller scale to German Street, and above it, you will also see then on the right-hand side the configuration of housing of apartments that are dropped into the plan knitted in rather than um, in some formal way announcing their presence as luxury housing. Um, So that on this corner you can see Piccadilly but across the way you'll see an old office building which has now been turned into apartments for rental for the Crown Estate. You can have breakfast, uh, and live in an apartment that looks down to Westminster, and the rather wonderful roofscapes uh, that are adjacent. This used to be a sort of attic for clerks. Um, and then uh, units at the low level, these are two- and three-bedroom and single-bedroom apartments that rent at, a, a, I would say, a highly... a price that puts them into the luxury bracket. Um, but it's it's uh, it's been an incredibly successful project for the client it's uh, constantly full um and full of intrigue uh, coming out as you do onto piccadilly circus so you're having breakfast with eros on one side looking at big ben on the other um, and having soho at a stone's throw or The world of Mayfair and the Mayfair grid and all that it represents or down into the parliamentary world. Other projects um, of this ilk uh, are this project which is for a set of apartments in a converted office building workshop once a car showroom back in the 1920s um, in Albemarle Street. So again a very discreet entrance to Uh, a world that ends in a, I would say, a a magnificent penthouse, but uh, lateral apartments uh, with bedrooms that are uh, of a scale that you can inhabit in more than simply uh, the fashion of sleeping or the, the cell. So I suppose I end with this question of what satisfies The idea of luxury and I believe in terms of interiors it is about a dialogue that is genuine rather than artificial. It is about a location that is genuine rather than gated and artificial and I think that is what uh, absolutely as far as I can see is the aim of uh, the clients that I know can afford luxury in in London. They want to be part of the everyday. They want to be part of the city and not set apart. Uh, And so I end with this image of Freud's consulting room, where every object and piece was in dialogue, an amazing world um, of obviously highly charged interiors. Thanks.
2: Okay. Sorry, excuse me. Can we start that again? If you could pause for a sec, one sec pause for two seconds. Or start again, excuse me. Uh, Okay. Thank you. Okay, good afternoon. Hi, I'm Maria Warner wong from WOW Architects in Singapore, and I'm very happy to be here today to talk about the subject of luxury homes. I've never spoken about our work in this way before, so the topic of the work seen as luxury is a different way of referring to it, but it certainly is something we feel is a luxury. Um, our firm, our Architects, is a Singapore-based firm, which is a multidisciplinary firm. We do architecture, interior design, and landscape. And normally we do all three in the projects, especially the homes that we do. So all of the projects that I'm showing today are projects where we did the integrated service of design from beginning to end. Um, Our experience over the past three decades working in Asia is really what defines our approach to design. It's the places where we work that have incredibly different sites, cultures, clients, values, traditions that really motivate us and inspire our approach to design. So rather than having an idea, or a solution, or a system of design that we export, or a style, we actually respond to the place where we design. And I highlight each of these locations, some generalized as continents, um, because they are what have inspired our approach to the work. Our core strength lies in our ability to respond to a place and its people, and create spaces that are experientially derived from the culture. Now, our work is mostly in the area of hospitality. We do a lot of hotel, restaurant, and spa projects. And we also do residential projects, multi-housing developments, as well as residential. And residential is less than 10% of our work. And what I'm going to address today is the question of what buyers of individual houses want and how we define it. So typically, uh, luxury homes are an investment asset in key global destinations often as a second home. But for us, they're primarily primary homes where a family is based and they live a lifestyle that's rooted in their culture and their place. Uh, none of our houses have ever been bought. They've all been commissioned and they've never been sold because the clients normally develop these as the family homestead that they intend to keep for generations. So we define luxury as time spent with loved ones in wonderful spaces together with a focus on the natural surroundings. And we believe that time is really the most valuable luxury in a technology-driven and mobile and mobile world. So what we try to do in each of the projects is create spaces that are very aware of their surroundings. And we also try to deliberately weave the rituals of daily life, like activities of arriving and departing, walking upstairs, bathing, washing, and cooking, to a very strong connection to the landscape and to nature all around. We see houses as a great opportunity to test new ideas. So very often there's a lot of craftsmanship, bespoke detailing, and innovation in our house projects, which goes on to influence some of our larger projects, housing and hotels we take a lot of time to get to know our clients and their families. And we're very interested in the social structure within a family, how they interact and what each of the family members want. It's often complex, as architects know, very different preferences to be balanced and addressed in the design. So we'll go through four houses now, starting with the Bishop's Gate House in Singapore. And I'm going to tell you what each client wanted because Every client wants a personalized experience. They want their family to be a participant and they want it to be a memorable part of the narrative of the family's story. In this case, the client wanted a house in a garden that would allow him to contemplate the land that his house was on. Now, this is 15,000 square feet in downtown Singapore. That in itself is a luxury. There are only 10,000 landed properties in the country. So to have a piece of land of this scale, and the opportunity to contemplate it, is really unique. Most people in Singapore would build a giant house, and this client gave us permission to leave half of the land as a garden, and to even allow the local birds to drop seeds and plant the trees, so many of the trees were not decided by us. Um, And this house, Chilton House, is very focused on the rituals of daily life, and these connections to the landscape around. The third house is a house in Bangalore. And the client's goal here was really to make a statement about his place and his family's place in their community and in society. A statement to say they had arrived. And for them, the perfection of materials, the bespoke details, the the luxurious finishes were paramount. And really effort and no expense was spared in trying to get the perfection in the authenticity, and the originality of these pieces. So there was a lot of original furnishing design, lighting design, and the materials themselves were the best throughout. And this one in Singapore is an apartment building for a family from the Middle East, and they wanted a home that was culturally sensitive to their lifestyle and to the social structure within their family. And we needed to address the individual preferences, like we always do, but in this case, Culturally, it was very different. They wanted an interior that was a reflection of their eclectic sense while providing their family with a comfortable home to live in. In the case of the Sentosa Cove House, our client was a collector of oceanfront homes around the world and wanted this home, which was going to be their their family base, to have an unobstructed ocean view. They wanted an urban retreat for extended family that was really sensitive for their visiting family from all over the world. So almost like a holiday home as a primary home. And in this house, we were required to have an ocean view from every place in the house. Okay, Every bedroom, the kitchen, the service areas, the bathrooms, the corridors, everything had to have that ocean view because they said, This is why we bought this property and we want that experience and we want it to be different from each room. So they didn't want repetition, they wanted uniqueness. And this one, which is actually our first house done over 10 years ago, is a very interesting house where what the client wanted was an inward-oriented garden-filled building with gardens at every level. So the house itself screens the intimate internal spaces from the outside and even the most private spaces have small, tropical courtyards open to the sky. The common features of all of these are strong site and landscape design. And the process involved numerous members of the family, an appreciation of craft and bespoke furnishings and details. Every client wanted to express their individual style and have a personal experience. And budget was never a secondary concern. Although they had a lot more money to spend, they really wanted to spend it wisely. So, our focus was really on embodying their culture, the place and memory and have an experiential setting for the family. Now, we also do a lot of larger housing projects and the question asked of us was to compare what owners of individual houses want as compared to the general market. Now, the general market, we didn't know if we meant the general luxury market worldwide, the general housing market in our region, and we took it to mean the general market of housing that we do. So, we're comparing here the other housing projects that we do, many of which are in India. And the focus here is really on the communal spaces, on creating a sense of community, and although awareness of the surroundings, a connection to the landscape and to nature and the rituals of daily life are also key elements. The spaces that were really created are the communal spaces where people within this development interact and have this common experience of a connection to nature. The developers are investing heavily in the landscape here, and although these are very outward-oriented projects with great panoramic views, the intimacy of the shared common areas is always embedded in the landscape and always very nature-focused. These are some of the interiors of the the public areas or entrances to the building. In this project, we liken it a bit to the Sentosa Cove House in that it's all about the ocean views. And here we have a beautiful apartment building overlooking the sea and really defining luxury for the city of Chennai. Now, the previous project was in the north, now in Chennai, which is a smaller city, this is a really outstanding and unique example of the ocean view. So they wanted this rooftop communal area with a swimming pool, with the ocean view, all as part of the experience, and again, as a communal experience. So whereas the houses have a very intimate and private sense, we're trying to create in the shared areas all the communal and community activities to bring people out, to bring them together, to get to know their neighbors. Um, This project, like the others, is a study in high-rise development. It's the tallest building, residential building in North India and it's been ongoing for the past seven years. In a way, it was a very brave client because it was the first of our clients to really understand and appreciate the value of landscaping throughout the building at all levels and in all areas of the building. And they have invested very heavily in realizing this green landscape communal experience and even in the individual units. But of course, the clients, the buyers, have different wants from what the developers want. The developers, like the the private homeowners, want to express their own flair and their own influence and their own vision. The buyers, of course, they want the prime address, they want the facilities, they want amenities, and it's a very difficult competitive landscape for developers to actually have something that's so special, so different and so unique. And the emphasis on landscape is something that the buyer is very drawn to because they know that they and their children and their grandchildren will have these spaces to share. Uh, This one in Malaysia is a very different project because the proposition put to us was multi-generational living. The idea that you could buy an apartment or two apartments or a granny flat within one development and with minor modifications you could link them either on two levels or adjacent to each other to create this Asian idea of multi-generational living. And this facility actually has wellness facilities, medical care, care for small children, care for the aged, all within the development as part of the, the development package. So if we were to compare the buyer's expectation to the experience we offer, we would describe it as clients asking for lush greenery, and our approach is to provide them with an immersive landscape that you participate in rather than look at. Um, They seek a lot of global brand name, famous products, and we encourage them to have a more curated environment that draws on the local, the authentic, elements and weaves them together with all the beautiful things that they want from around the world. So the difference then between luxury houses and luxury housing is we can say in our design that the luxury houses are very much enclosed and internally focused. Whereas the housing is very oriented toward the panoramic views and it's about visual prominence. It's about seeing the world around you and being seen. The house as a secluded retreat is complemented by the bigger development as a community haven. So those secluded spaces are actually places for neighbors and family members to come together for celebrations. And the orientation of the building, the inward intimate spaces within a house versus the panoramic views and outward orientation, even panoramic view gardens and activity spaces with views are something that the buyer would be very interested in. So this is just our contrasting approach to the question of housing and luxury. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you both for those observations. Um, I think I've got a pretty good checklist now about what might constitute uh, luxury. And I suppose the the question it raises in my mind is uh, a sort of spectrum where you include words like vulgarity, uh, flashy, uh, nouveau riche, uh, those sorts of things, and whether there's a sort of narrow line between something being luxurious um, and something being, frankly, rather uh, low-grade taste. I mean, I'm thinking of those sort of buildings and materials uh, that you get in the Gulf, um, which a London developer called Stuart Lipton described as maximum marble buildings. Um, they've used the most expensive stone, but very, very cheap light fittings. It's, it's most mysterious. And it's because there's this sort of notion that marble is associated with luxury, and therefore it must have value, as though, as though nothing else mattered. And I wonder if... if uh, Uh, you have any observations on materials uh, as such? I mean, is there, you know, it's like gold taps. Are gold taps luxurious or just stupid? I don't know. Maria, what do you think?
2: Well, okay, I obviously didn't mention the private cinemas and spas and all these fabulous spaces that occur within these homes that we all know that the sky's the limit on the type of spaces people might have. But, what happens in our cases, as I mentioned, the client wants to have an experience and they want their family on board. So very often they actually invite us to travel with them. They want us to bring them to Europe. They want to go to the Milan fair. They want to come to London. They want to see the world and they want a guided, you know, literally a guided journey with their children, with their families to see what what there is in London, what there is in Europe, and they actually want to learn, and they're very interested to learn. I think they're aware that they haven't been exposed in many cases. They're very curious and very open-minded.
1: This ra- this raises another question, which is about things that are luxurious to look at. Which I think we don't associate that with architecture, usually, do we? We say, you know, we don't look at, at let's say, Buckingham Palace and say, oh, that looks luxurious. <laughs> it most certainly isn't. Um, but when we get into interiors, that's quite a different matter. And I was very taken with your suggestion, Eric, that the dialogue between materials and things themselves and their relationship to the owner <coughs> start to constitute um, a, a notion of luxury. And I was then thinking, I think it was Hippodamus whose model city <coughs> had this, exactly the same amount of um, land and exactly the same size buildings for everybody. However, wealth discrepancies were expressed on the interior. And I wonder if, in your world, um, actually your, your ordinariness in urban locations is then counterpointed by the, 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 the expenditure on what goes on inside. Is that a fair comment? Yeah. I, I think that... Um Undoubtedly,
0: uh, some of the most uh, sophisticated interiors I know are very stripped back, uh, very sparse, to intensify, I think it was a word you used before, you know, the dialogue of the parts. So um, rather than a stage set which is you know, is very full. It's one that... The show house. Yeah, it's, it's actually accretive. It's, it's living because you are getting older, you are acquiring new things or disposing of old, changing your mind. So, I, to... Uh, it's very difficult for the interior, I think, to be fixed in aspect. Um, at that point, it seems to me that its completeness, in a way, is its downfall. So... Um, I, you know, and in the same way as I think one of the problems we see, I mean, I suppose given the opportunity from a European perspective at least of where one might choose to live, I would say ultimately Paris must be it, with a street and a boulevard, a kind of culture of meeting and conviviality and wanting to be part of a community. So this, the problem, of course... The villa is one issue for us in contemporary design. Um, The other is is, it's the space between the villa and the mass housing project, whether for Luxus or for, um, for social housing. It's the space between that is ultimately the most important thing. So it's the urban context that it seems to me that sets up then the potential for growth, like a good sort of uh, foundation for, for a plant. You know, you can't do it artificially. You've got to have sort of sense of longevity and change.
1: And, of course, I suppose in... Um what, what what we would think of as, as as luxury housing? Actually, I'm really beginning to hate this word luxury. I'd rather, <laughs> re- rather regret having used it in the title of this session. But um, uh, what about the place of art and craft? Because I think, a- as with um, you know Freud's um, uh, uh, waiting room, consulting room, um, usually you f- usually you find particular taste, many of the sort of clients you work for, Maria, I mean, they have a, they have a, a real attitude to um, things that are handmade and bespoke, uh, was, the, was the word used. Yes. I mean, this does seem to be a characteristic of, of that high end market. Definitely.
2: Um, we find that the clients really appreciate having things that have been made, especially for them, made by hand. They want to actually meet the craftsmen. They're prepared to travel to the places where the things are made, and they want to actually see it. They have a deep appreciation for knowing that that thing is going to be their dining table, for example, or a place where their family will come together, and they give it a, a pride of place in the home. But I think in response to your question about materials, you know, the materials in Singapore, they come from all over the world. And there's, I think our clients are not people who are interested in golden taps, okay? They're not the types who want, have that idea of opulence and luxury. They hear us, they see how we talk about landscape and plants and greenery and trees, and building materials, and the places of origin and how building materials are procured. And I think they choose us because they know we're very interested in how things come about rather than just buying. And of course, in certain settings, It's so unaffordable to bring in, it could be because of import tax or the cost of construction being so different that some of the products that we see and, you know, love in Europe are just prohibitively expensive, Window systems and what have you, right? To us, a luxury material could be a raised flooring for drainage underneath, you know, like these are very expensive luxuries that make for good architecture, but they're not necessarily visible,
1: Well, I've enjoyed the presentations and conversations. Um, I saw a a very beautiful building that Eric has recently completed in London for uh, one of the uh, livery companies. These are groups of people involved in a certain trade or occupation, historically, these days not necessarily. Um, And this is for the leather sellers uh, company and it's the most beautiful use of leather imaginable. And under any other circumstances, you would say, this is an extraordinarily luxurious livery hall. Look at all this leather. But that is their business. And therefore, what it is, it's an entirely appropriate, appropriate use of a material in unusual circumstances. And the reason why I'm really rapidly going off the word luxury, I suddenly realized why. I was in a supermarket last year, I think, and I saw a product in the sort of dips section of the supermarket, sort of Greek stuff. And um, there was something which was called luxury taramasillata. (laughs) <laughs> they had ordinary tiramisulata and they had luxury tiramisulata. Mm-hmm. And on examination, the luxury tiramisulata was simply tiramisulata which had a greater percentage of codro in it um, rather than bread. Mm-hmm. And I realised the point at which the marketing industry starts using words like luxury is the moment we're all finished, yeah. because mid-market uh, house builders, in fact, now describe. Um, anything with an en suite as a luxury home. And of course, the debasement of language uh, makes it uh, difficult to have discussions about these things. But we've had the privilege of seeing some very beautiful work and some great insights. So Eric Parry, Maria Warner Wong, thank you very thank much you very indeed. Much,
2: Paul. Thank you.
1: Uh, For anyone who might be interested, um, there's a reception starting now uh, on the ABB stand just outside where you can meet Christine Murray, who's the Editor-in-Chief of the Architectural Review and founder of the Women in Architecture Group. So if you'd like to meet her uh, or see people from ABB, they're having a reception with refreshment. I think that means alcohol.